Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos can be found anywhere you find your favorite podcast. People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos is an exploration of small press and small media. And Weird Fiction and the Cthulhu Mythos. Book reviews. An exploration of ancient books about ancient gods written by ancient pre-human sorcerers. All that kind of fun stuff, too. Every other episode is a reading of some Weird Fiction writer. People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos. Check us out at pgttcm.com or check out where the RSS feed comes out of at pgttcm.podbean.com. Thank you. Look Look for for us us on on iTunes or Stitcher or wherever. Greetings, comrades, and uh, this is going to be a weird episode. You see, I have been terribly ill this whole week. At the time of recording, when I finally feel like I can actually do something now, I have 37.8 Celsius, that's slightly above 100 Fahrenheit, but I've been over 39 Celsius for most of the week, that's 102.2 Fahrenheit. Another thing that happened earlier this week was that one of the most famous Russian stand-up comedians, Mikhail Zodorno, had died. He, during the Perestroika era, used to be a really funny satirical criticizer of the nonsense that happened in our greatest of countries. But, as of late, he had become somewhat of a pro-Putinist Russian ultra-nationalist mouthpiece. Basically, he was making jokes about how terribly dumb Americans are, how Russians don't need 50 choices of cheese in their stores, and how <clears throat> spiritual fortresses of Russian culture are far superior to whatever dumb Americans can come up with. His most infamous joke that made pretty big news here was about the Malaysian Airlines Boeing. He made a whole skit about it, talking how it must have fallen because it was heavier than air. Well, I hadn't even been interested in this nonsense for a while, but during the first day of my illness, when I thought that I just had caught a cold, my friend, the guy who made our logo and who's our quality assurance, but, you know, he doesn't like to be mentioned by name, yeah, he came over, 
And he showed me some of the stuff that he's been doing uh, in his latest shows. He showed me a TV show in Russia where, as I understood it, because I only saw that one episode, where people with controversial views, like ufologists, conspiracy theorists, radicals and whatever, yeah, where, where they come over and debate with scientists. Yeah, that's, that's how it looked to me, at least. In that show, this uh, Zadorno guy was called on uh, for what he had stated in one of his stand-ups. And it was all about how Russian language is the basis for all other languages on the planet Earth, how Russians are tied with ancient Egyptians linguistically and spiritually, how they have the burden to carry the <clears throat> culture and civilization of the whole European world on their shoulders, and how all the words in Russian play into this. Basically, a pseudo-historical mystical nonsense mixed with a large dose of racism and Russian supremacism. And you know what? This Zadorno guy who held those views, he won the debate. Well, he didn't buy the arguments, but the scientists, the real scientists who argued against this giant pile of poop, yeah, they were overwhelmed by the audience, they were yelled at and laughed at. Because obviously, Russian greatness comes first. So then I thought, well, you know, I am, um, I'm planning on, on, during my illness, I was, I was planning on, you know, watching Stalin documentaries and, and Crimea documentaries, because I intend to do a Crimea history episode. But I thought, well, hey, I'm in a zombie-like state anyways, and thus, well, technically, as uh, in, in Russia, the opposition calls the television uh, the Zombayashik, or the zombie box. I'm the prime target group of Kremlin's propaganda. Might as well watch Russian media for the whole week. Well, at least the news materials that are available in YouTube, as I don't have a TV. I did balance those out with a dose of opposition news to keep me sane. Therefore, therefore, this episode is my analysis of what's shown on Russian mass media and opposition media lately and what's going on there right now. And, well, what are they talking about, and why are, they why are their major issues, and what's going on? From the perspective of a feverish, brain-dead person, and uh, honestly speaking, well, uh, you do have to turn your brain off to be able to watch this stuff. A thinking person just wants to facepalm, tear their hair out, scream at the screen, and cringe. But when you're only able to stare at something and absorb things as background information, together with the occasional hallucinations from the med si meds uh, side effects that you take, and, you know, your brain making you think about the very fringe aspects about what's going on, then, you know, these shows can be actually quite interesting. And, um, and uh, after the first two days, I also stopped restricting myself on the very current events, as it got interesting. And my daily regime was news analysis shows, as I try to understand where and how this whole thing is coming from. Now, I do have to warn you. All the studies mentioned on this show are real. They're published in Russian media. They're not fake news, and they're coming from inside Russia. It's important to note this, as things will get surreal here. And obviously this is intended to be a, well, sort of humorous episode... It might be hard to believe this stuff, but because of that, there will be links. 
at least what I can provide links for, in the show notes of the Eastern Border page. For any one of you who might know Russian, and you want to check, check yourselves, really. First off, let's start with the easy stuff that you probably have heard of. Namely, about the fact that Russia's Ministry of Defense just posted the screenshot from a mobile game as irrefutable proof that the United States are actually working with ISIS on their Facebook page and Twitter. Now, obviously, this came out as a fake super fast, you all had a good laugh, and it was removed. But that's the side of the story that the West saw. You see, these posts weren't removed until after this whole thing was shown on all Russian state news, talk shows, and mainstream mass media as completely legitimate. And after it was removed, the official statement from the Minister of Defense was that it was just a civilian human error. Yeah, and the guilty party wasn't even wasn't even punished. Oh yeah, and the recall fact was not shown on all the news and talk shows, obviously. Because why would they? This also played into the reports on the speech of Theresa May about Russia. You know, the one where she said, quote, We know what you're doing, end quote, and that, quote, Russia is the greatest threat to liberal democracies today. She spoke about their aggressive activities in Ukraine and all about how they've meddled in the EU and US politics and how even though UK is leaving the European Union, they will continue to work with it to counter this growing threat. It was a powerful speech, wildly reported around the globe, and it gave hope to many of us here. Except Russia, of course. Russian response to this was the moment when I first started to understand what my fever project might lead to. You see, at the end of the part of the speech that was dedicated to Russia, May said, quote, <clears throat> We do not want to return to the Cold War or to be in a state of perpetual confrontation. So whilst we must beware, we also want to engage, which is why in the coming months the Foreign Secretary will be visiting Moscow, for there is another way. Many of us here looked at a post-Soviet Russia with hope because we know that a strong and prosperous Russia, which plays by the rules, would be in the interests of the United Kingdom, Europe, and the world. In Russian media, only this part was talked about, and presented with all the splendor and glory as <clears throat> another Russian victory, trademark, deserves. Uh, another Russian victory, trademark, will be used a lot in this episode. Russian news frontlines about this event were, <clears throat> Theresa May is counting on productive relationships with Russia and doesn't want Cold War. Prime Minister of Great Britain declares that she is categorically against another Cold War with Russia and doesn't want to return to a stand-up state with our country. And of course, <clears throat> Theresa May focuses on the stability in the world and states that the West needs a strong Russia as a partner. And they even showed some parts in the speech uh, in the air, uh, those concerning Brexit. Russian commentators were obviously ecstatic about that and proclaimed that the faster the talks go and Britain leaves the EU, the faster friendly productive relationships with the Kremlin can be established. Oh, and then the Russian embassy in the UK trolled May on Twitter by posting a picture with her drinking wine with the text, We also know what you're doing. This truly is a post-truth world now, isn't it? But the people believe this stuff. Because a ton of them don't speak English at all. Or use internet for that matter. 
there were also the news about the APEC Vietnam summit. Everyone in Russia was just crazy about when Trump will finally meet Putin, which as we know never happened and it went to weird levels. On the TV show, Saturday evening, it was said that, quote, <clears throat> soon there will be a Trump-Putin meeting, because Trump's getting angry with Ukraine and has understood that this problem, just like many others, cannot be solved without consulting with Putin. It's kind of interesting that we, Russians, keep our position constant, but every other country just shifts theirs around ours. Maybe we should finally explain stuff to them. And, uh, explaining stuff is a Russian metaphor for... <clears throat> And now listen, here, here is how it's going to be now. To explain stuff literally often means to forcibly tell you what you should think or do, or how things are. It's a common prison slang thing. Another thing that's common in modern-day Russia now, apparently. Of course, there are also headlines like, quote, <clears throat> Trump awaits a meeting with Putin in Asia. And uh, Trump is hopefully counting on a meeting with Putin during his Asian tour. And... Uh, <clears throat> Trump stated that meeting Putin is very important for him in Vietnam. And another one which I liked was, <clears throat> Putin is ready to meet him, but is Trump ready? Note how Trump's being presented as something less important than the great Russian leader. And no matter your opinion about the POTUS, you should still note that Russia is presented as much stronger, better, and more powerful than America in their news that Putin, uh, in, in Russian mainstream media, is literally presented as the intimidating leader of the planet worldwide, whom everybody fears and respects, and that, you know, Russia is truly the one greatest country that uh, Americans are afraid of all the time. Yeah, but those previous news, uh, news titles, yeah, those were the subtle ones promoting this idea. Because there is also stuff like this from uh, Politicus.ru. <clears throat> Helpless Trump rides with a carpet to Vladimir Putin. And from Xtru Info, <clears throat> how Trump got caught in Putin's leash. And here I'll also quote the actual article. <clears throat> As is well known, Trump is seeking a meeting with Putin in the summit in Vietnam. Putin, however, does not seek any meetings and only meets those who want to meet him. And now the queue has arrived for the current president for the, of the United States, Donald Trump. And later on, the same article. <clears throat> Trump reminds us of a poor homeless person that is trying to marry the Queen of England. Half of the job is done, now it's time to make her agree. This is how Trump looks with his need to meet with Putin. Now, basically, I don't want to comment on your, your preferences on Trump or whatever. But, seriously, in Russian media, after the 2nd of August signing of sanctions, Trump's getting portrayed as someone who will look up to Putin his kind of obvious superior. I don't really see any friendship going on here, just humiliation, and, uh, and understand that uh, when they talk about Trump, it's not about Trump specifically, it's, uh, it's just a way how to, you know, project, project how much Russia is better than the United States. So even if you don't like Trump, don't, uh, don't think that this is somehow, um, somehow good, or that uh, they would be any friendlier to a Democratic candidate. Anyhow, when their meeting started to look less and less likely, they started making news out of weird stuff, such as promising that it would happen unofficially after the events, trying to present their every rub in the corridors as another Russian victory, trademark. And Komsomolskaya Pravda tweeted as very important news about how, <clears throat> quote, 
In the photoshoot ceremony, Trump stood on the right side of the Russian leader. At the end of the ceremony, the American also slightly touched the shoulder of Putin. And yeah, when the meeting didn't happen at the end, Putin publicly stated that, quote, those who are guilty in the fact that the meeting didn't happen will, will be punished. And yeah, Russian opposition made jokes about that, the, the saying that Melania now will have to obviously clean the floors of the Russian embassy for a whole week, and cook pierogi for the whole stuff, obviously, and that, you know, Trump's going to have to stand in the corner and cry for days because Putin has said so. That's a drooling attitude. Russian media makes people believe that Russia is the greatest, largest, best country on planet Earth, with great Putin as its leader, who brings them even more. Another Russian victory! What they don't understand is why they have to live so poorly if their country is so great. But that's okay, is they can endure, and they can be patient, and, um, and this is sort of pushed onto them culturally. That's what I got from their media. Now, what exactly are they enduring, then? Now, I thought about this next part, because um, I'll just get the completely insane stuff out of the way first. I did not want to kind of mention this next part, because I don't want to be sensationalist. So I didn't put it in at the first. But then, after I, after, after I thought about everything else that's going to come, come next, next later on, if I will not mention this even in passing, then you might think that the stuff later on is the sensationalist stuff. But it isn't. What really are the extremes, like uh, about how like everything is crazy, is that there are there are people in state-owned apartments in outer districts of Moscow who have mushrooms growing on their basement walls. And they collect and cook and eat them because they lack money for proper food. And even though that's kind of bad because their house is in huge trouble, yeah, they eat those things. Or how about a PhD in architecture, a member of Russian Academy of Sciences, who has a salary of about $450 per month and has to live in two rooms of a communal flat without central heating. Or how in many regions people not only don't have sanitation, they don't even have running water available to them. And in some places it's brought to them in a septic tank. Cleaned, obviously, but the water is still smelly. Quite a lot of people in Russia still live in apartment buildings with bathrooms being shared by the whole floor. I've seen people complaining about shit stalactites forming below them in the basement in the winter due to broken sewage. And shit columns in the case of an actual dorm in St. Petersburg. And in some of those houses, not even that works. In modern-day outer Moscow, there are people who literally defecate in a bucket and then power it out through the window in their backyard from their apartment building. There are villages from whom a jury-rigged, narrow-rail, Mad Max-style motorcycle engine-powered rail cars is the only way to the closest town and services. In Saratov district, a couple of film enthusiasts found a distant, seemingly abandoned house and wanted to film their amateur horror movie there. Then they found out that there, without any water or electricity, 20 kilometers in the closest settlement, an old 78-year-old woman was apparently given an apartment by the state there some years ago, and now she's just there living, waiting for her death. In the small town in the Svetlovs district, people recently got their first traffic light. Now they're demanding explanations on how to use it and feel threatened by it and often ignore it. They also saw a video of old ladies protesting against internet being wired into their apartment building. They said it will ruin the youth and that Putin would not approve. 
Then there were other ladies, crying and me excited and talking with each other when one of them came back to the local Yegina Rashia office after gathering signatures for Putin's candidacy, which is required by law in Russia. And, and someone had told this old lady that, that uh, he won't sign and that Putin will soon be no more. And she was shocked and panicking and really, really sad and didn't even know what to say, because what will she ever do without Putin and how it's even possible that someone else might get elected? Guys, the things I've seen. Like I said, I wouldn't watch this stuff with my brain working normally. But this is... This is the extreme stuff, okay? We've gotten that out of the way, okay? So now the rest of this stuff is, is, is still very bad. But now you know the stuff that I'll talk about in detail. That's not the extreme stuff. And these, by the way, these, these ladies uh, screaming about Putin... These are the folks getting 8,000 rubles as their pensions. That's about $136. And Russian Ministry of Economy publicly stated in an interview, when I watched it, that Russia will have to lower the indexation of those pensions and increase the age of retirement, as they simply don't have the money to pay the retirement pensions in the same amount as before anymore. They do pump stuff in the military, though, and forgive debts to nations friendly to Putin, and fund aggression. And, you know, steal everything that's not tied down and transfer it to their offshore accounts. Huh. Basically, I understood that people actually live okay by Russian standards only in Moscow. And even there, not everywhere. Just, like, not on the outskirts of Moscow. And in some parts on St. Petersburg. If you go outside of there, people are living mostly on information about another Russian victory trademark. That's what they get instead of, you know, actual decent living conditions. And mostly, mostly, such uh, such great victories are celebratory, formal openings of various stuff to show off that the government cares. Kind of. Remember Tomsk? We mentioned the town in the last Stalin episode, as that district was one of the places where Stalin was sent out to one of his exiles. Well, Tomsk made huge news on the internet and popped up very early in my YouTube scouting of Russian media, because they recently, with great pomp and celebration and formalities and cutting the red ribbon and balloons and press everywhere and, and mayor of the city and speaker of the local Gosduma participating and everything and, you know, band playing with everything, like, you know, proper huge celebrations, yeah, they, they cut the red ribbons to open up a water pump. You know, the one that sticks into the ground, and then you push a lever, and water comes out. Why is this important? Well, it was placed in the corner of Spalnaya and Stroyevaya. And this small thing, this one water pump, is the way how 78 private homes in the surrounding few blocks will finally have access to the city's water system. Since the end of the Soviet era, they had a truck carry water to them once every few days, and they carried it back home in buckets. And now, in the 21st century, they can finally go to their street corner with their buckets and get their water whenever they want. Another Russian victory! Trademark. This event was obviously mocked on the Russian internet. And the Russian state media plugged in, stating that it was the best solution they had in this era when they lack money. Except on other news, they speak about how everything is an amazing in every other context. 
And, you know, they, they also spoke about how getting the necessary pipelines to connect to this pump was hard work, and that people should not mock this. And the sad reality of these whole news is that a lot of people in Russia, including those living in the cities that are not Moscow or Petersburg, like I said before, today live without running water, electricity, gas, or other amenities that have become completely normal to everyone in the Western world, world including us over here. A lot of people don't even have access to, like, proper normal roads. Because <laughs> the problems with roads in Russia are so immense that uh, the biggest complaint often is that you know, the most common complaint that Putin uh, Putin receives is that we have such bad roads that whenever rain comes, we can't leave our village. So whenever they, they they get access to something like this, like like this water pump, even in the form that's totally ridiculous for the modern age, it is presented as the greatest and best thing ever. Because because they're not used to this, they don't have it. They they and then they get this. Even the very tiniest, slightest, minorest things that their government does for them is presented like this, this super, mega huge, grand achievement of Russia. And yet, they still totally support Putin. Because, like I said, all the time in the media, everything the Russian media does is glorify Putin, say that it's better to better to be better to be proud than to heal to American imperialism, and we don't need their 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 good stuff. We don't need their good life. We this is Mother Russia, and we will endure. We will not we will not bow down. We have uh, mm, cultural spiritual fortresses. They present themselves as sort of some sort some sort of a super spiritual country. Which is, well, obviously not true as you'll see later on. But I, I, I'm not, I'm not sure. You know, I, I used to believe that you know, 86% of Putin's supporters are fake. Well, it obviously is, but now I'm pretty much convinced that Putin still has like over 50% support, because all of this massive, crazy media work or just continues to emotionally blast people. They don't bother with, like, uh, facts on, on mainstream Russian media, you know? They, they blast you with emotions. They blast you with the fact that evil, foul Americans, evil imperialists, uh, evil Americans are funding evil Nazis who are then killing children in Ukraine. European fascists are... European gay fascists, sorry... Uh, are, are oppressing Christian families, and, and you know, th there's going to be a genocide on on white Europeans soon by European gay fascists. And um, and fascists supported by Americans. So it's it's just a mishmash of crazy random stuff which just blasts that, you know, yes we don't live well, but at least our country is in a good moral standing. Because every other country is evil and terrible. And Putin is the greatest and everyone fears Putin and, and Putin is the best leader on planet Earth. I mean, it's it's somewhat of a North Korea level at some point. So yeah, as far as I saw it, there are a lot of people that still totally support Putin. Because, yeah, they think Putin will manage this. And look at all the nice weapons that Russia has. And after this kind of grand opening of this pump, my fever struck me with terrible, terrible thoughts. And I wanted to find out what other things like this have been opened with pompous celebration over the years? I, uh... I regretted my decision soon after. It turned out even worse than the pump. 
Because I, I by, by that point, I had stepped in the weird zone of the internet. Turns out, you can formally celebrate as a major achievement literally anything humanly possible. Including things that, you know, people take for granted these days in our side of the eastern border. I'll only be listing the events, because I, I have criteria now, I had to cut some stuff off. So I will only be listing the stuff that got grand major openings where the local officials have participated. That is, local administration must be there and present it with, as, as their own personal grand achievement. Someone must cut the red ribbon. There must be balloons, there must be a party, and there must be some band playing. Those were the things. If there were no officials, or they didn't cut the red ribbon, I threw it out. Because th then I would just have too many things. And yes, yes, I will have links with pictures with all the nice grand splendorous openings on the Eastern Border site. So, let's go. <clears throat> in the town of Krotkeros, in the Komi Republic of Russia, because uh, Russia split into republics, that's how they call their states. <clears throat> in the 29th of September 2015, with much celebration and pomp, a bus stop was opened. The bus stop consisted of a single concrete plate and a sign that th that said that this was a bus stop. Bonus points! It was demonted a month later as the regional government, which is which is step above from the city's government, declared that the town one had built it without proper documentation. In Samara, 7th of November 2016, with grand celebration and pomp, 20 meters of sidewalk that had just been asphalted were opened. The major of the city said that this was an important moment for the people and was an example of how they were listening to people's needs. In the 15th of December 2015, in Listovoye, a children's playground was formally opened with much celebration in a remote field outside of town. It consisted of <clears throat> a small metal slide, a swing, one, a sandbox without sand at the opening date, and a small bench. Mayor and his wife were present, obviously, with the proper ribbon cutting and everything, otherwise it would have made it. But, the Russian opposition, actually, um, who fights against corruption, made special notice of this, as they noted that the clothing alone of Mayor and his wife cost more than the whole playground in total. In May 2017, a bench with a view to the currently under construction bridge that will connect Russia to Crimea, was opened in Crimea. Not only the local administration participated, but also Gosduma deputy boxer Dmitry Valuyev, who said that, quote, this bench will become a place for tourism, scenic selfies, and apparently of, of a new tradition, a wedding destination. Yeah, and in June 2017... To not to fall far behind from the previous example, a football-themed bench was opened in Sochi with much celebration, with local administrators giving each other premiums and medals, and of course, with a small concert. And now, we're getting to the really important stuff, the big thing. Are you ready for the ultimate Russian victory? In the 13th of August 2016, in the Tver district, town of Mirny, and on the 15th of August 2016 in Novokuznetsk, with huge celebrations and participation of the local administration, again cutting the ribbons and everything like in every other case that I've mentioned, 
people celebrating celebrated the opening of garbage containers. Those large green plastic things, mostly hoetic at least here in Latvia. They hadn't had them before, so this was a celebration. The press in Novokuznetsk also reported that quote, for the very smallest of the participants of the celebration, games and competitions were held. The kids found out about the various types of garbage, participated in the ecological quiz, and in the, creati- in the creative contest drew the backyard of their dreams. As you can understand, all these Russian victories trademark, show that they've really treated like such. People who haven't seen a modern plastic garbage container, or any garbage container in that town for 20 years or so, you know, they can be entertained by such stupid pseudo celebrations. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Hi, guys. This is Alice. Due to us being a little sick, our work schedule has fallen behind a bit. Firstly, thank you to all our lovely patrons, and especially to all of you who sent us your address. We'll start sending stuff as soon as Chrisips feels better, and that means that if you haven't already, you can still send us your address on Patreon to get into the first batch of our mass souvenir send-out. And if you're not already our Patreon supporter, feel free to become one by either going to patreon.com slash the eastern border or just clicking the sign up button on our facebook page we would like to remind you that anyone who would like to participate in the souvenir send out can become our patron until the end of november also as is traditional by now for our christmas episode we'll be doing a q a show so you can already think about what questions you would like to ask red uncle joe i mean uh santa yep santa Thank you. And now, back to the show. But if you look deeper into this, like I did, and uh, trust me, I could only mindlessly stare at the computer screen with YouTube on and autoplay with this stuff, and not much else for days, then you start to see much more malicious stuff setting in. Russia's obsessed with winning. It has to get these victories, DM. And by staging such celebrations about literally whatever, and often these grand openings cost more than the things that they're opening themselves, the government can turn the people's minds away from protesting and complaining about their lives. Kind of keep the people down. Make sure that, you know, it's, it's kind of, there's no money, but you hold on. A way how, how kind of, you know, make them not think about their issues. At the same time, mixed in these news, like among these celebra- celebratory news, were Russian statements from 2014 that by 2018 or 2020 they'd be opening mines on the moon. 
Now, obviously, that's not mentioned anywhere else now by this point. That's gone nowhere, as their missiles keep exploding, as and they are really lacking cash. But hey, they were planning for more victories back then already. And also, apparently, <clears throat> in the June of 2017, they presented their humanoid space robot Fyodor. Which is just funny. <laughs> because Super Science... <clears throat> whose skills include the fact that he can sit down in a split, move around a bit, and shoot machine guns from both arms. Why would they want their space robot to be able to shoot machine guns from both arms? Nobody knows, because it's illegal to weaponize space, and they accuse Americans of doing it all the time, yet their humanoid space robot specifically has a skill to shoot machine guns from both arms. They declared it another Russian victory! Trademark. And yeah, apparently this thing is going to the International Space Station in 2021. Well, that's what they say now, but um, I secretly doubt it's going anywhere. Now, if these stories make you think that there might be something wrong with Russia as a country, then you're not that far off. They, they probably themselves would agree for one. In another random stuff that I, uh, you know, that popped up in my YouTube browsing of Russian news, an interview to the newspaper Russian World came up, where their Minister of Culture, Vladimir Medinsky, said the following, quote, I believe that after all the catastrophes that have fallen on Russia on the 20th century, starting with the World War I and ending with the Perestroika, the fact that Russia is still growing and thriving is because our people have developed one extra chromosome. Yes, yes, the Russian Minister of Culture basically stated that Russia is great and amazing because everyone there has Down syndrome. And here I do have to say, and no offense to actual patients and the relatives there, uh, they can be pr productive members of society with, with treatment and care and lead happy, meaningful lives, and, and they certainly wouldn't do anything as offensive and ridiculous as this minister guy, it's just that... It's just that this is the Minister of Culture who said this to a newspaper. Like I said, if you put Russian news as your background noise for days, you find out a lot about new information. And sometimes you'll find out more from the stuff that you don't hear. Because uh, <laughs> this popped up from the opposition news, and, and then, then lately what happened was that there was this huge radioactive cloud over Europe. From New York Times, official monitors in France and Germany concluded that based on weather, pat weather patterns, the contamination detected since late September had emanated from southern Russia or from Kazakhstan. The most plausible zone of release lies between the Volga and the Urals, the French Institute for Radiation Protection and Nuclear Safety said on November 9th. Jean-Marc Perret, the institute director, told Reuters that the geographic area could indicate a spillage in Russia or in Kazakhstan. And from NPR. <clears throat> there is one very particular process that makes ruthenium-106, says Kenneth Chervinsky, a radiochemist at the University of Nevada, Las Vegas. Ruthenium-106 is created as a byproduct during the production of a medical isotope known as molybdenum-99. The world needs molybdenum-99. It's an important ingredient used in some medical scans on, of the heart and other organs, but very few locations actually make it. There aren't many facilities, Chervinsky says. There are some reactors in Canada, Belgium, South Africa, and Australia. 
and in Russia. In 2013, the State Atomic Energy Corporation Rosatom announced that Riyar in Dmitrivograd had successfully begun producing and, producing and purifying Molbidenum-99. There is a global shortage of the isotope, and Russia has ambitions of becoming a supplier to hospitals all over the world. According to a report by the US National Academy of Sciences, Engineering and Medicine, it eventually hopes to snag a 20% share of the international market. And um, obviously, <clears throat> according to a statement from Rosatom, none of the enterprises of the Russian nuclear industry has recorded radiation levels that exceeded the norm. And uh, pro tip, if you want to know about previous cases like this, listen to my Chernobyl episode. Because uh, this, this case, the giant radioactive cloud, I wanted some comments about it in the Russian media, but uh, poof, none. Gone. Nope. Completely. How can you expect anything else, if all you have is a robot that can shoot from both arms and is called Fyodor? It's just amazing. Oh, and he probably can drink Boyarishnik too. By the way, I think Boyarishnik will also be a nice thing to round up this fever dream of an episode. See, I find Boyarishnik uh, very interesting, because when Russian media speaks about it, they uh, like to declare that this is so crazy that no American or European will ever be able to understand this. Well, now they haven't met me in my explanation powers. Okay. Boyarishnik literally means Hawthorne. And now I have to explain what it stands for to normal non-Russian people somehow. You all know that Russia is always associated with vodka, right? Right. And that people drink all sorts of crap when that is not available. Like, remember that Trainoi in Gorbachev's Perestroika, right? Right. Well, and I would have never learned this without my spirit quest in the world of Russian media, but apparently, due, the, due to the constantly shrinking real income and massive poverty of the Russian population, a lot of people can no longer afford real vodka anymore. And while in the countryside, Samogon, moonshine, is king, then, in the cities, when it's where it's illegal and where the cops will catch you, it's much harder to get. And it's also risky to drink, of course. This, by the way, is presented in the mainstream media as another Russian victory! They're proud to announce that the demand for vodka in Russia has fallen drastically. But what, the, what this hides is even darker than the Trinoi thing. See, Trinoi was sold as a man's aftershave, and people drank it. Their choice of booze now, after the sanctions starting from about 2015, for the common poor Russian alcoholic, is this Bayarishnik. It's sold as a bath lotion. It usually consists of about 75% alcohol, with some versions of it going up to 93%. The rest is some of that uh, Hawthorne food extract. The thing is, a bottle of 100 milliliters costs 20 rubles, which is about 30 cents. At this rate, Euros and USD are very close, so I will not differentiate here, really. There is also the 250ml bottle, which costs 60 rubles, and that is a dollar. At the same time, for comparison, the price of a half of a liter bottle of vodka, which is 40% spirits, has increased from 89 to 190 rubles, or from 1.5 dollars to 3.22 dollars. And obviously, if you just need sheer volume of, of spirits, if you buy two 250ml bottles for 60 rubles, then you're just settled, even, even with one. 
if you buy that and then you mix it up, you, you get like a half a liter of vodka for, for like 60 rubles or nothing if you, if you stuff it up. Obviously, this bath lotion with extremely, extremely high alcohol content wins out by a huge margin. The bigger bottles are sold in grocery stores, pharmacies, corner shops, literally everywhere. As bath lotions, obviously. They're consisting of almost pure spirits and being so cheap, <laughs> as being sold this way, they're free from the alcoholic beverage tax. So they're very, very available to the people. The common way of drinking this by the hardcore alcoholics is, mi is mixing it with water, but teenagers are drinking it pure and then washing, off, washing it off with light beer. And yeah, this is this is kind of a very popular drink in Russia among teenagers and, you know, about among poor people. In 2015, according to statistics, 200 million liters of this lotion was drunk in Russia. But that was just the tip of the iceberg. See, in 2016, this drinking of this bath lotion Boyarishnik, which is essentially almost purely pure spirits, became so widespread that they introduced the smaller bottles mentioned above in vending machines. Yes, that thing is sold in publicly accessible vending machines now, in those 30 cent, 100 milliliter, 75% alcohol bottles. Yes, they're out there in the streets, yes, kids can buy them too, and as it's sold in the bath lotion, and it's completely non-regulated. You can just go and drop in a couple of coins and get your little bottle of super, almost pure spirits, and then you can drink it for, for ultra cheap, and then you can enjoy it, even if you're like, what, 12? Or even if you're a hardcore alcoholic and you don't even have to wait in line and these operate 24-7. How's that for amazing thing? And and the owners of these vending machines for this Boyarishnik, they even ran an advertisement campaign aimed at small business owners, stating that, quote, One such vending machine will bring you 25,900 rubles in a month. Success guaranteed. And, and, and the, also in their ads, they're like, uh, they're, they're lines like, Good perspectives. Times are getting tougher. Demand for the lotion among consumers is growing constantly. This is 100% legal. It's like they're not even pretending anymore. They're not even pretending that this is a lotion used for lotion things, even though why would your lotion consist of almost purely spirits? Oh, and th their official tagline, by the way, is mm -mm, the most profitable Russian business during the crisis. Obviously, and the amount of people that were hospitalized due to severe alcohol poisoning just skyrocketed. And you think that, you know, selling extremely hard spirits in vending machines, <laughs> unregulated and, and just anonymous vending machines, would cause some sort of an uproar? Huh, nope. This is Rush, after all. But not even this is the really shocking part. Vending machines made this boyarishnik lotion even more popular than it already, than it already was before. Obviously, more people wanted a slice of that sweet, sweet alcoholism money pie, so more and more companies, most of them shady, entered the Boyarishnik market. It's crazy. And then, the thing that can only happen in Russia happened. The fake ripoff of vodka got a cheap ripoff. And in the city of Irkutsk, a large batch of this Boyarishnik lotion was made with methanol instead of ethanol, and it made it to the market. 
Officially, 76 people died, and 123 were poisoned in total. But that's the official statistics. As that thing was sold without any regulation, even in vending machines, let me remind you, and was super widespread among the poor population, and, and was super cheap, and as by now, I know that blindly trusting anything that comes out of Russian media is a bad idea, well, let's just say I bet the real numbers were quite a bit larger. And okay, this did finally cause an outrage. And not the vending machines, mind you. This caused a massive outroar in public, with demands to somehow regulate this whole damn thing. So what did the government did? Well, they banned the sales of this thing. For 90 days. Also, they debate, debated on selling no more than two bottles of that stuff in the pharmacies and banning the vending machines. Which didn't pass. So 90 days passed, and Boyarishnik is back with a vengeance! Another Russian victory! Trademark. Not like anyone cares anymore. And so ends my... My strange trip through uh, Russian media. I also obviously listened a lot about Stalin and Crimea. And uh, next episode is going to be another of the Stalin series, and we're going to end this month with uh, with the history of Crimea. Actually, I haven't had a PDRP in a while. I might do that, and we're going to make an extra large uh, book segment this month. But yeah, thank you for listening. And yeah, if if you if you have any any choice, then then just just. Don't, don't watch it yourself. It's not safe for your brain, and I can't say I recommend it to anyone. До свидания, товарищ. Thank you for listening to The Eastern Border. If you have any comments or specific details you'd like to know, you're welcome to leave it in the comment section on our site, theeasternborder.lv, and we'll rummage even to the western border to find you an answer. Like this podcast? Subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, or on our RSS feed. Happiness is mandatory. Good reviews and donations feed the farmers of our kolkhoz in the great motherland. The eastern border salutes you. This podcast is part of the Dark Myths Collective. Visit darkmyths.org for more shows like this one. The darkness awaits. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Every year, one thing is always predictable. Postage costs go up. Stamps.com gives you crazy discounts of up to 89% off USPS and UPS services, so your business will barely notice the change. Stamps.com has been indispensable for over 1 million businesses just like yours. It's like your own personal post office. No lines, no traffic, no waiting. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM.